0: And welcome to secure the insecure the podcast where i say it's okay to not be okay i'm johnny seafoot and every week i'm joined by one very special guest Welcome to another week here at Secure the Insecure and thank you for joining me on Instagram. Secure the Insecure podcast is where you find me on Instagram every day. We've got a motivational quote, we've got a teaser from a previous episode and thank you for sharing your gratitude with me. During lockdown I've been preaching it and I'm noticing the effects around me based on what you're telling me. I'm noticing you're seeing that positive change by being grateful. Doing a gratitude diary every day, finding five things that you believe have helped you have a better day. And the best thing to do is on your phone, have it on notes, and as you go through your day, just find something positive that is happening to you in that moment. Then keep it going. Keep looking for that positive motion so that you can get to five. Honestly, it's the best thing. And if you can't get to five, that's absolutely fine. Because there are things that you're getting that you won't realise. For example, you've made your bed today. For example, you've had three meals today. For example, you've got a roof over your head things like that are so important that they're still a piece of gratitude and that is what I want to celebrate here on Secure the Insecure. Now as well as that I want you to keep liking my podcast rating it reviewing it sharing it that's also really important giving it that five star rating and then the third important thing is my guest and my guest this week I am so excited about he released a book called Man Down why men are unhappy and what we can do about it and it is so important it is so important that men are speaking out, that we are speaking not just a bit of banter, which I absolutely love, but also relaxing and challenging ourselves and actually saying, it's okay to not be okay, I've got an issue, I want to discuss it with you. We know what we're like, we watch the football, we chill, we banter, but that isn't everything and as much as I absolutely love that, I really think it's important, especially now that we're speaking and Matt Rudd authors Sunday Times journalist joins me who wrote this amazing book man down hello Matt
1: hey Johnny how are you
0: very good thank you how you doing my friend
1: I'm fine Johnny before we start but I don't want to get us onto the wrong foot in this conversation but the gratitude list which I've I've listened to your previous episode does that really work for you
0: yes it does because it means that I'm always seeking to find something positive so even I do the exact same walk every single day twice a day and I notice always something different on my walk be it a bit of wall that's been painted be it a, 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 a I saw a traffic cone on the floor on the road I saw a, a piece of rubbish on the floor it gets you going and it's it's from Jay Shetter's book think like a monk and honestly I think it does really help I had two bad days this week and I didn't feel so good. And the gratitude diary really did help me pull it into perspective. Going, okay. The reason someone, else, someone has acted like this is not because of me. It's the situation. And therefore, you've got to separate yourself. And I think that's what that gratitude diary does. It separates you.
1: Yeah, I think, I think that's, I mean, I, did t- I, I tried this myself. And the, the, first, the first few times I tried it, I found it actually didn't help. And actually it made things worse, if I'm really honest, because I was, you know, I was struggling to get to five. And then the things I had written, I was just, you know, it didn't it didn't stop the circular thinking. It was the thing seemed inconsequential compared to all the bad stuff. And so I kind of gave up. And in this book that you've so kindly introduced, I, I actually lied at the start of the book and said, write a gratitude list, it will really help, it helped me. And and then then I, as things went on, you know, as I got a year and then two years into all of this, I returned to it. And it, I still struggle with it. But it's you know, I think it's amazing that you're doing it and and encouraging listeners to do it as well. But I just think um for particularly middle aged men, the idea of being positive is quite a hard one thing. So it's, you know, to go into that expecting results for me was was wrong. Um, now, two years on, I'm I'm doing a bit better. And the walk, the daily walk around the same, I do exactly that. And that for me has been the real winner.
0: But you've got two kids. You've got a wife. That's something. Three good. kids. Three, three kids. Was the yeah. third one mentioned in your book?
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, I missed that page. <laughs> before you press record you promised me you'd read it and now and now we're into the first bit of the quiz how many kids have i got johnny
0: three one's called freddy and he had pressure when he was 13 years old because he was asked what he was going to do in the future see i've read your book yeah Uh, (laughs) but the thing is so you've got three kids you've got a wife that's something to be grateful for so like i said i've made my bed in the morning that is something for you you've got three kids who haven't had covid19 today you've got a wife that hasn't had covid19 today that's two gratitude points already on your books you've got three kids that have woken up in the morning they've gone to school they've come home and they've seen you for a little bit of time or you've spent half an hour with them that's something to be grateful for it doesn't necessarily and i think this is the thing that we have to think about is that it doesn't necessarily have to be big grand gestures that you can be grateful for it can be the smallest of the small to get on your list
1: yeah and i think i think the the key here and and this all gets you know fairly self-helpy quite quickly it's those things you're mentioning it's to focus on what's happening in the day to to think about the positives that are right in front of you so that's that's what people say in self-help to do mindfulness to focus on the present but as you were saying those things my kids don't have COVID I was thinking oh but they might have COVID and then I suddenly if I'd been on my own and I wasn't talking about it I might get into a spiral about well what if what if I lose my job? What if I can't, you know, afford to feed all those kids? And then you kind of you you can get very negative very quickly. And I think a lot of a lot in the self-help area, it all has these kind of there are a lot of really positive helpful messages, but if you tell that to someone who feels quite trapped in their life, and I'm a bit further down the road from um, from you, and you feel as you get on as if you're kind of the ability to take risks reduces. If you kind of, you, it's very easy to feel trapped and then shut down to those quite simple things that you can do to make yourself feel better.
0: And that's literally you've hit the nail on the head. There. And I mean, I want to obviously go through your book. I've made notes uh, through your book of things that mean something to me. And one of those things, as we're talking about it right now, is on page 42. Um, and again as we both know as journalists we do get a lot of books and we don't read them and we do an interview we get the press release and we say okay what's your book about I'm not going to do that I want people to buy this book but I want to pick up on a couple of the themes that you speak about and it's quite important for me that we do dissect it as men and I know that it almost for some people will say well why do I need to buy the book now but I'm giving you one line that we're expanding on, but you really do need to buy Man down. I don't want to take it away from you that people aren't going to buy the book because they feel like they've heard it all on this podcast. But on page 42, you talk about how we are programmed to stress from 13 years onwards. So the fact that we're working up to our exams, be it GCSE, A-levels, the fact that then My. we go, OK, we've done that. Now we need to get into uni. If we don't go to uni, we need to get a job. And then we need to get that job if we do go to uni. Then it's, well, we now need to earn money to get a mortgage. Then it's, well, now we need to pay off the mortgage. Then it's, okay, well, I need enough money to retire. And the fact is, we do not stop stressing. We are always putting pressure on ourselves all the way through life.
1: Yeah, there's it's it's always tests. There's always another thing. and And again, this is looking at the future. There's always another thing to do. It starts, as you say... From the moment in school that you're first you, f- you get your first gold star for for well behaved, it's often just to do with good behaviour, not even good work. So you get your gold star, and it moves, as you say, through the exams, through into getting. You know, you arrive in adulthood, and you know that should be a moment to breathe and reflect. But suddenly you're at the bottom rung of the ladder, and you've got to progress. Then if you're being Super part of the patriarchal system and you're really crazy you you might find a partner and have kids and that wipes out another 15 years and so for me it's and for a lot of the men i spoke to they hadn't even really stopped to think about what makes them personally happy you know you we we, we kind of go for things you know we want to buy things and get nice stuff and get on the prophecy ladder and all that stuff. But where's the, where is the pause to think, is this right? And as I say in the book, I felt quite pleased with myself for going into journalism because all my friends, had, a lot of them, had gone into jobs that paid lots of money. And journalism, when I started in it, still doesn't didn't pay much. But I picked the, the kind of quite show-off-y job, or so I thought. But again, that was all about, you know, that was still external validation writing a piece that someone says they like so you go through all this stuff and then for me I reached this point in my 40s so predictable where I kind of the kids could wipe their own bums put on their own seat belts and I had a minute to reflect and that's where it kind of suddenly dawned on me that everything I'd been chasing was not the right well not not wrong but i was just not very happy
0: and the problem is when you work in a job like ours in the media you are very much referenced to the industry and the the the, the publication that you work for so for you for sunday times for me talk radio it's the talk radio Showbiz editor or sunday times journalist matt rudd you know you're owned effectively by the company because we work for such a big company and a well-established well-known company and yes you're right the pay isn't good but the benefits you get by saying you are from the sunday times means everything and that is almost what you hold all your value on rather than who the real matt Rudd is, we're basing it on our career
1: yeah that's true and and in any organization you are a small cog in a big wheel and i think also there's this i think the way a lot of companies the way our whole society is set up is that there's a There is suspicion. If you if you suddenly stop climbing the ladder, then there's a bit of a well. That guy's been in that position for that long. Is he no longer ambitious? And the truth is that I think the sooner we almost stop being ambitious, and or pause and think, is this? Do I want to go up another ladder, uh, another rung? Because the further you go up and I spoke to people who you know running big companies at the top you know you people who we would look at and think wow they have they really have it all you know they're they're running the company they could leave early if they want to they've got loads of money and I've spoken to them and I can promise you them is more miserable than the rest of us which is kind of reassuring.
0: We're going to come to that in a second because you speak on page 186 about people's salaries but I wanna go back to what you just said, which is effective on page seventy of your book of Man Down, Why Men Are Unhappy and What We Can Do About It. Where you... I
1: am now starting to need to be read it.
0: Oh, mate, cover to cover. This is the <laughs> test and I hope that I'm slightly passing the test if I got the first question wrong. Um, you talk about money and status and you say your forty-five year old self has begun to comprehend what your eighty-year-old self will know for a fact, working for the sake of status. And money is pointless. You will never have enough of either. And that goes to back to what you've just said. That when you're climbing that ladder, that ladder is infinite because even if you get to the top of the ladder in your company, you then want to own two companies. Or you get one house, you want to have two houses, or you have fifty thousand pounds, you want sixty thousand pounds. You are never happy with your lot. And that's also more pressure that we're putting on ourselves.
1: Yeah, correct. I, and I think you I think it's that chasing things it's again and I'm repeating myself here but it's all it's all to do with goals it's all if i if i do this then that might happen and and i i think it's it gets easier actually as you get older to kind of because you, because when you start out you've really got nothing and you've got to you know you don't have status so it's easier for me here in my 40s to say to young people oh don't worry about ambition do something that you love all of that stuff and it's very easy when you're 80 to say um you know work less but when you're when you're starting out that's i think that's almost impossible what is important though is to think about all of this stuff you're you're in your 20s and you're already thinking about this but i was i spent quite a lot of time talking to graduates who you know I I would kill to be their age again but they were not pausing for a second they were talking to me about five to ten year plans and they were you know one guy uh, I was talking to he he was worried because he hadn't got a job yet so he was thinking about going back to university to get a master's and I asked him how long he'd been looking and he said six weeks and so you think, you know, my immediate reaction here from my 45-year-old perspective is, come on, just spend a bit more time thinking about what's important. But from his perspective, you know, his his outlook is even bleaker than mine would have been 25 years ago because nothing's, you know, the the gap between wages and property prices has only got worse, you know, it's, and, and of course we're in this ridiculous year at the moment. So... I can understand why all this happens it's just how you disrupt it and and encourage people to focus a little bit more on what's important to them rather than what will look good or what will you know make other people think they're great
0: Well, it depends how you're socialized and also who is those people that are telling you this because I was told When I was looking at my university, we will get you a job within two years in your industry. And we're like, oh, yes, I'm going to get a job in two years' time. And I got a first-class honours at Birmingham City University, and I didn't get a job within two years. And then I was like, okay, well, maybe I should do something else. But you've then got that pressure from social media of people flying high. You're comparing yourself to others because other people are already doing well. And in my circle, a lot of them work in finance. So, their salaries have you know gone straight through to you know 30 grand starting and i'm like trying to make a job on 10 grand and you do compare yourselves with social media with your friends and again that pressure you put on yourself so no wonder that guy wanted to try and get a new job after six weeks when he couldn't get a job because we're being told we've got to work and if you're gonna stay at mum and dad's home you've got to do something and be productive you're not staying in your room all day waiting for that job to come along
1: that's true I think what's important is what what waits at the end of all of this, because the people that I was you know, this is effectively a book about midlife, midlife doldrums, not crises where everything blows up, but a kind of what most of us do. We reach a point where there's the pressures have got to such a degree the the, the balance between work and life is so finely balanced that you, you don't have very much room for manoeuvre. And all those those men that I spoke to for the book, they were men who, to me, were had it all going, you know, on paper, they were successful. They had the family and the flashy job and, you know, the three holidays a year. These were, these were people who'd done everything that the system was designed for, and they passed all of those tests. And my idea was to talk to them, find out how they were keeping it all together, and then do what they did. But the reality is you know one point in it was absolutely clear that they were not happy; they were just keeping their heads down and carrying on you know getting up commuting five days a week, as we all do, and then you know racing home, not seeing their family enough, always feeling bad when they were at work about not being at home and then at home stressing about work so and I'm quite clear about this. I definitely, def, this is not a self-help book. I do not have the answers. But I can see, having spoken to all these, all these men, that, that what we're doing at the moment and what is what we call success is, doesn't make people happy. So something really, something really big needs to change. And we need to change the way we raise boys. We need to change what, what, how we gauge success. And frankly, we need to rip the whole thing up and start again, which I said in the book, which I wrote most of just before this, you know, it literally finished in March. And it was effectively a book saying, let's all get off the hamster wheel. And then rather embarrassingly, exactly that happened from March onwards. You know, the hamster wheel stopped. So
0: it literally did what you wanted it to do then?
1: Yes, it's all my fault, but... <laughs> and within you know within a few weeks i was working from home homeschooling three boys from home my wife worked at the local hospital so we were kind of applauding her after her shift every day and then and then i was kind of living the dream and and typical grass is always greener within you know within 6 weeks i was like i need to let's get let's get back to the patriarchy i need to go back to work this is horrific so but it, what is exciting actually it, it's been a terrible year for so many people but the number of men i've spoken to you know because i've written this book on a lot of a lot of men have been getting in touch and it is you i have seen the these kind of pinstripe men emerging into the daylight blinking because they're all saying we're never going to go back to Five, you know, the full five days in the office. Flexi time is now something that we realize. We, you know, before 2020, it was still absolutely the the women that it fell upon to ask for flexible working, particularly if you have kids. It was, you know, men were, it was a bit of an ego thing to, you know, to go to your boss and say, could I leave work early because I've, you know, on Fridays, so I can do school pickup. That's all changed now, which is really exciting.
0: Well, that's the thing. And you talk about in your book on page 186 about how to be happy. Why are you laughing? I've, I've done <laughs> my homework.
1: The pages. I believe I believe you. I don't know. I, I'm not checking up on you. I, I no, I want to check.
0: You know I, your I believe... pages. Did you write the book or was it ghostwritten? written
1: <laughs> No, I I have ghostwritten books, which I couldn't possibly tell you, but um, (laughs) this one I wrote myself.
0: Um, So on page 186, you say that we need to earn between £50,000 and £70,000 to be happy. Going back to what you just said about success, that we're always reaching something, but then you go the other way because then you get past that £70,000 and you're going on 10 holidays a year. You've got 10 cars, you've got four houses, you've got five wives and we have 10 kids between all of them. And you go the other way, so it's interesting that you use those two figures as your parameters
1: uh well that I was actually quoting from several studies who and those those were you know sociologists interviewing people and asking them how much they earned and how happy they were and I stood in a car park with a clipboard and did I did the same I asked them. Very simply, how happy they were and how much they earned, and there it there was a you know it's it this is a this is really obvious and old, not new stuff at all. The idea that the more money you earn, the happier you are, there's no link between those two things. Uh, obviously, you need a certain amount to you know to be comfortable or to pay the mortgage or the rent, but there is definitely diminishing returns and. And I, and I think that the, that's that's slightly the wrong way for me to have looked at it. What what's really important is: do you need to be earning more? Do you need to be thinking in the future if I work extra hard in this job that I'm not enjoying that much, uh, will I get a promotion? And do I want a promotion? Because actually, if you're doing something that you don't particularly enjoy, and this this really becomes more of a factor as you get on because as you you know, when you're starting out, you're fully focused, but by the time you're my age, you're starting to look at spending more time at home with family and stuff like that. So, I mean, these are huge sweeping generalizations, but that's where I am with all of this. So I think it's, it's making, it's making decisions not based on, anything to do with money once you've reached a certain point once you can pay the bills it's what is my what is my plan that will allow me to make myself happy
0: moving the conversation on you say on page 93 about how we all speak about our feelings and we say I'm fine let's just think about that for a second as men about how I'm fine is a term that we use so easily but we don't actually mean
1: yeah and i mean it's you're you are definitely having listened to some of your conversations you're very open about how you're feeling and you don't strike me as someone who who is you know if someone asked you if you're okay and you weren't you would you would hide it, but I think, and I'm not like that anymore either. But certainly, again, the men that I've interviewed, they their first reaction if if they're not okay, and if someone asks them if they are, they they're so nervous about taking that first step and opening up about their feelings and admitting that they're fallible. They think that if they start discussing this stuff, then the whole house of cards falls down. Because it does, it, I, I think a lot of men do feel as if they're just keeping it together. There's, there are all these plates spinning and they've just got to keep their, their head down and keep going. And if you look at the statistics, there is this spike in, in your late 40s in anxiety and depression And stress, and then it kind of you'll you'll be aware of that book, um, the happiness curve. So there's this big plummet, in from a little bit older than you are, right through to where I am, and then it goes up again into the sunny uplands. So there's this very there is this kind of sense that if you just keep your head down and keep going, you'll make it through, and someone will hand you a carriage clock, and you'll be fine. So. The men I spoke to at first, they were saying, "I'm all right, I'm I'm fine," and then, you know, it's almost like you need a safe space to start this conversation. So, if I was, if I was saying, "Look, I'm 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 interviewing you. Let's talk about how we real really feel," then within a few sentences, they were they were opening up, and so that cliche that men don't talk quickly dissipates, and. And it's that first step and realizing that taking that first step is not going to um, make all the plates fall that smash. It's, you know, it, it is actually helpful. And that's the thing. That I, that's where I was two years ago when I started writing about mental health. I was really nervous about thinking about it, about writing about it and about sharing it because, you know, I was worried that people would think I was a failure and actually the the opposite very quickly happened. There was support, and um, lots of people wrote in and said they felt the same. A lot of wives and partners said that's that's my husband, that's my partner and gradually i've felt I've felt more positive I think I mean it hasn't been rapid, and I'm very much only taken the first step but just by talking about it and realizing I'm not, it's not just me, uh, it, it has made a big gradual difference.
0: I think there's a line because although I give a lot of myself away, and I do more so now because I'm inviting people on to open up about their feelings, then how can I say for you to open up, but then me not to give anything away? But I still have a very big line and my safe space. I have got with certain friends and I think it's really important to have that support network. But you speak on page 203 about this safe space with the Shedders. Can you just tell us about the Shedders because I think this is just it brings together where we are thus far about how to actually celebrate life as men and how to open up that safe space.
1: This was amazing actually. This was this was searching for a for a bit of happiness in in the story and the, the, shedders, it's a, it's the shed movement is a movement set up because men—all those men we've been talking about that, that soldier on through—they gradually talk. You can look at the statistics; it's ridiculous. They talk less, they socialise less. They, the, you know, the head goes down, and they're just pushing forward to the future, to the end. It's such a depressing thought. And we, as men, tend to arrive in our later years without many friends and without, you know, very many people to talk to. And so this movement is literally a network of sheds where men can go each week and meet up with other men and do DIY and talk. That's It's really simple. It's like the Women's Institute with with chisels instead of knitting. And... The, I went to meet some of the the men who who had set one of the sheds up, and they said most of the people who joined had been you know they have a stall at the local market every week, and they see these wives dragging their men up to to make an introduction because again, they can't get over that first step. And once they're signed up and they're in and the, you know the, the, in, they're through the embarrassment. It's just this ama- amazing environment, and there were 15 men in this shed on a on a Wednesday morning, all talking about life, and they were, you know, they gave me the full, the full, if I was your age, I'd be working less, spend more time with your kids, uh, all the, th- you know, don't focus on money, all the things we all know, but none of them had followed those rules when they were younger. But they were the thing that they craved most, and had found in this shed was community, and that was a, that was just again such an obvious thing. And this is also obvious, but it gets you, you just lose the you lose sight of all of those things because of the stress of life. So, you know, the the obvious answer is to maintain community through your life. But if you fail to do that, There's a shed waiting for you at the end of it, Johnny.
0: Well, you've now set yourself up for the obvious question. I'm 28 years old, you're in your 40s. What would you tell me based on what you would have told yourself when you were my age now?
1: Well, I'm trying to remember. I actually wrote um, for an article a while ago that is in the book, a letter to my 25-year-old self. And I'm trying to remember some of the things I said on it, but it is... I would say to you uh I mean you're way way ahead of where I was because when I when I was 28 I was you know head down I thought it was I thought I was super important because I was writing a travel column that people seemed to enjoy about eight people a week enjoyed it and I I just joined the Sunday Times and I thought I was off I didn't have kids yet so I was um you know Didn't have all of. I was. I was just kind of working hard, and then faffing around, and I thought I was really busy, but I, I, I didn't even know the meaning of the word. I don't want to depress you here, Johnny, but you know. And I also had. I now looking back, I would say right now to you, as a twenty-eight year old, you still have freedom. You're not set. You can. It's easy if you wanted to to find something to be passionate about in addition to work or to be passionate about in work and I would really I would I would find the time each week to think about that because you've got space and a bit of maneuverability that gradually dissipates as you get older um, I would also I would also throw all your Internet of Things stuff in the bin immediately and uh, adopt as analogue a lifestyle as you can, which is not easy to say to someone who works in radio. But all of that stuff, all of that social media, all of the things that kind of you know force you to, to um, pursue all these goals and think of yourself how other people think of you, get rid of it all, go analogue, and then save a bit of money every year and then move, go and live in a hut in the Swedish wilderness. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, what I'd, that's what I'd tell you. Well, Have a five-year plan that results in you living in a teepee <laughs> in Wyoming.
0: Oh, God, could you imagine? Well, I want to turn this back to you, my friend. As your final question, I'm going to throw one of the quotes that you say in your book back to you. Page 207 to finish it off. Do you live to work or work to live? <sighs> mate you've set yourself up you wrote the words yeah. i'm just repeating them to you
1: well you the obvious answer is you work to live but i i mean obviously we all we all it's it's both of them unfortunately but yeah live live which one do you do
0: i live to work I love my job like no tomorrow. It gives me my purpose. It gives me my passion. I love what I do. And especially when we haven't got COVID, I love going to those red carpet parties and seeing all the celebs that I'm friends with. I love getting my freebies and going to events and feeling all, you know, doled up and not having to pay for it. I love hanging out with people. I love the gossip. I love all that. And yeah, it, it gives well. me my purpose for now. And you're right, it will diminish in time. I've only done this for five years. So at the moment, it's still very exciting. And it will get to a point, and especially during COVID, working from home, where you lose that purpose and you are literally an internet screen. You know, I work for Times Radio and I've been working there for six months. For the, sorry, For those that don't know, I work for the radio station behind the Times newspaper. It's been there for six months. I've met three people out of everyone and everyone else is through email because I've not been in the building. And therefore I am a computer screen. And I want that to change. And I love those. I love meeting people. I love learning about people from different backgrounds. So yeah, I think I live to work because I love hearing stories and challenging myself at the moment.
1: Well, I was exactly like that. and (laughs) I don't want to be your ghost of Christmas future you you you've already acknowledged that that may diminish or you may things you may move cleverly so that you are you know, you are always living to work. But I think too many people reach the point where they are where they're working to live. I think you've got to find a way to enjoy both and that is very very hard. The the way I've I've got much better at it in the last couple of years is to remove the try that you spend so much of your time worrying about things that you can't actually do very much about. So it's to be that to be defensive, to always be worrying about losing your job or, you know, your your carefully balanced life unbalancing. I've let all of that go, or I'm in the process of letting all that go. I'm not sweating the big stuff, and that is because what what that question's really talking about is work-life balance, and that is a complete false. The you know the 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 way those two things. Particularly with phones now, you're never away from your office, you're never away from your emails. And so it's not a work-life balance, it's a big work-life melange. And I think I've I've got much better at delineating the two. And as a result, I'm enjoying those two things independently much more.
0: Matt Rudd's book, Man Down, Why Men Are Unhappy and What Can We Do About It is out in all good bookshops now. If you can get that or go on Amazon and buy it down there, you really need it. And what I've done for you today is given you those tools in your toolbox. I've given you those questions by working through Man Down to understand where we are in the world at the moment and what our purpose is and how we put pressure on ourselves, but we don't need to. This is the smaller parts of the bigger questions about how do you find happiness, what is happiness, what makes a man, what was a man in your head when you were growing up, what is a man now, you know, is it that you wanted to be an astronaut or footballer when you were growing up and now you realise that isn't what you want, I mean I was very lucky, I always knew I wanted to be a radio presenter since I was 12 years old and a TV presenter since I was 7 years old, so I've always been on this career path and that is something I've been very lucky with, although I haven't been lucky with girls and i think that's really interesting and we all have our different role to play in the world and i hope today whilst you've listened to this episode i've given you those baby steps to start thinking about yourself and to start challenging yourself and don't forget keep challenging yourself by doing that gratitude diary and keep finding those five things that make you happy every single day i share mine on my instagram channel at johnny seaford every single day on twitter at johnny seaford and i love it and I love that also, I put a little comment box saying, what are you grateful for today? And every day, more and more of you are commenting and letting me know what you're grateful for. And as I said to Matt early on, he said, well, I was finding it hard to make five pieces. Well, that's fine. But you've got a family or you've got a relative or you've got a friend. You can be happy for them. I'm happy my friend went to work today for the first time. I'm happy blah, blah, blah happened. I'm happy I ate three meals. That's absolutely fine. Don't start sweating for the big stuff sweat for the small stuff please do like what you've heard on the podcast if you've liked it i want a rating five stars leave a review on itunes share it on your instagram and your twitter accounts at johnny c at secure the insecure podcast is where you can find me thank you so much for listening i've been johnny c remember it's okay to not be okay until next time thank you and goodbye